Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Grabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be giving you all our thoughts on the first couple days of NBA free agency. Obviously, a ton happens on that first day, even though technically none of these signings are official until the new league year begins on August 6th. That doesn't mean anything. All of these deals are done and most of the big fish on the market have already found a new home or returned to their old home. Now, not necessarily every single one, and we'll talk about some of the guys who remain out there probably towards the end of this one. But let's start by looking at some teams that have made a big splash thus far. And I think that the first one that comes to my mind remarkably is the Chicago Bulls. Did I expect them to be the team that took the biggest gambles in this free agency? Probably not, but clearly that has been the mentality of Arturis Karsinovis. It has been aggression. It has been trying to build around a core that currently has Zach Levine as its best guy, and they are clearly going all in on this vision. They've added Lonzo Ball. They've added DeMar DeRozan. Those are the two big dogs. For Lonzo, it's a four-year, $85 million contract, and for DeRozan, it is three years, $86 million. And they've added some other pieces along with that, an Alex Caruso. That DeRozan deal was also a sign-and-trade, so notably, they sent out Sadoransky. They sent out a first-rounder. But given all of that and how active they have been and what they have done in trying to clearly advance themselves as a contender right now, how do you feel about what's going on in Chicago and where do you think they stand as a team? I mean, I, I really, uh, I love what they've done because it, it makes me, it's changed my opinion on the Vucevic trade uh, from earlier in this season. Um, and I want to emphasize, uh, this is a really crafty, this has been a really crafty offseason by the Bulls front office. Like they wouldn't have been able to make this deal possible without that sign-and-trade of uh, Tice to the Rockets. Uh, that trade exception allowed them to sign DeMar DeRozan to open up that cap. So I just, uh, a really clever move by the Bulls front office. But uh, like I said, it changes my opinion on the Vucevic trade because, you know, it opens up a little bit of a playoff slash, I'm not going to say title window now, but it makes them maybe good enough. Like, they're going to be really competitive out east when, 
when they made that move, I really didn't think they'd be at all. You bring in Lonzo Ball, a guy who can pick up for Levine defensively. He'll be good uh, as a catch-and-shooter off-ball because you don't want to take his touches away. DeRozan, I guess, is your second guy offensively now. We know he still brings that punch. He's an, still an offensive engine. He's a really crafty scorer in the post and the mid-range. And um, I'm nervous about, you know, like what uh, Chicago would be able to do, Carson, you know, with the how much money they're paying out to DeRozan and Lonzo Ball, $85 million each over the next few seasons. But, like, who else would they be able to land over the next few years? Like, this gives them, you know, Vucevic is under contract through 2023, Levine's here through 22, and these guys are, Ball and DeRozan are locked up for a while. Like, I don't know, it gives them a little bit of a window now, but you're not sacrificing anything for the future. you still got Kobe White and Patrick Williams who can pan out and be superstars down the line. So uh, I just like it. It makes them competitive now. Hopefully you can establish that winning culture so when Kobe White and Patrick Williams really get good, you maybe do have a championship window. Yeah, they are taking a very unique path to team building because very rarely do you see a team that is going to invest so much of its cap into four guys and not one of those guys is probably a top 20 player in basketball. I would say that with a very high level of confidence. If you want to make the Zach Levine case, go ahead and make it. I don't think it's going to be all that compelling. But at the same time, one through four, they are very strong at this point. And when it was being strongly rumored that Lonzo was likely going to end up in Chicago before this DeRozan stuff really became a legitimate option, at least in the eye of the public, my issue was I really like Lonzo's fit. I think he fills a need as that point guard presence, as that valuable playmaker, as, as you mentioned, that off-ball shooter, that valuable defensive presence. I like the fit in every way there. My question was just, why are you giving him four years, $85 million? Like, what is he doing to really elevate your ceiling? You're not going to be a top three team in the East with a core of Lonzo, Vooch, and Zach Levine. And I think that the DeRozan addition makes this a little bit more interesting. Now, I will be clear. I still don't think they have any shot at a title. Not a hope, not a prayer. I just don't think you're getting by the Nets or Milwaukee out East or probably the Sixers, if they are able to not completely screw things up. Miami probably is a stronger core going right now. The Celtics, I wouldn't bet against getting back to a higher level again, although maybe right now you could say the Bulls have the better roster on paper, and that's not even mentioning the candidates out West. So I think that that is where you can take philosophical issue with this because they've built this fun team, they've invested a ton of cap into these guys, but it's kind of like, for what? And I guess the answer is, to win a good amount of games, to be a good basketball team. And I still don't like the Vooch trade because of the multiple first-rounders down the line that they gave up and because of Wendell Carter Jr. Like, those are real assets. Giving out another pick in the DeRozan sign-and-trade isn't the end of the world. They are paying him a lot of money, though. You asked me how much I would want to pay him, and I said I wouldn't really want to go above that $20 million mark, and they are up closer to above $28 million a year. So it's steep, but at the same time, they're investing it all in this core, and you mentioned it. They have a couple guys locked up for a while. Kobe White, they don't have to pay until 2023. Patrick Williams, they don't have to pay until 2024. I'll be interested in seeing what they do with Laurie Markkinen. I don't know that he is essential to their long-term vision, and maybe he can sucker some other team into paying him. I don't find it all that likely, but it's a possibility. So they're in a unique spot. What I like about the DeRozan and Lonzo additions is that you bring really that playmaking, floor general presence, sort of. Like, as I've said before, Lonzo isn't an exceptional half-court point guard because he can't run a tight on a pick-and-roll, he isn't that high-level scorer, he doesn't have a great in-between game, but 
He will always make the right play. He can impact the game in multiple ways offensively. In transition, he can be that really nice facilitator, and he's just a smart guy who I want on my team. And DeRozan, again, not a traditional point guard, but was essentially a point guard this past year for the Spurs, who averaged seven assists a game. And with the ball in his hands, as that pick-and-roll ball handler, as a guy who's going to get into that mid-range area and get into the paint, he can make perfectly good decisions. And I think that that is ideal to have alongside Levine because you can look at DeRozan and say he's always weird alongside other stars because he doesn't have that off-ball value because he can't knock down a shot off the catch. Fair enough, that remains true. But if I'm looking at Zach Levine, my biggest issue with him has always been he just doesn't project all that well as a truly great offensive number one, even if he can score 27 a game with this outstanding efficiency because the playmaking out of the pick and roll, although he's improved there, never comes naturally. He's not going to elevate his teammates a ton. And now I think you've put him in a spot where you have a couple of primary ball handlers and he can just go get buckets. Like, obviously, he's still going to have the ball in his hands, but he's an explosive cutter. He shot 49% from three off the catch this past year, and he had twice the attempts and pull-up situations as he did off the catch. So again, it's not the primary way that he was used, but he has the tools to just be that lethal off-ball scorer, and the more that he is just a scorer and you don't expect anything else from him, the better. Now, obviously, a 27-point-per-game scorer has to play make some because just because you're going to have the ball in your hands that much, but to me, it's like multiple pick-and-roll ball handlers, multiple legitimate initiators and creators to pair with this super-skilled big in Nikola Vucevic. Offensively, I think that this is somewhat ideal for DeRozan because he has that floor spacing big man, and so he's not as much of a minus to you if you're looking at, okay, we have a non-shooting guard on the floor, at least as far as non-shooting from beyond the arc. And I'm very interested in seeing how the young guys do blend into this situation because Patrick Williams, Kobe White, I think that they both have a ways to go as players. But I think that Kobe can certainly shoot the ball and get buckets at this point. And I think that Patrick Williams is further along than I ever expected him to be as a two-way guy who can get to his spots in the mid-range. So do I agree with this ideologically? Is this the team I would go all in on? No. And at the end of the day, maybe you do look at this with the perspective that a title, a finals appearance is all that matters. And I don't think the Bulls are getting there. But as a basketball fan... This incredibly strange, unexpected combination of guys being thrown together, and they are going to be good, that's going to be really, really fun to see play out. Yeah, and I think, uh, as you mentioned, I think the offensive weight is going to be you know, really evenly distributed. Uh, I don't think you could rely on Lonzo to consistently uh, help produce. DeRozan definitely lifts that weight off. Um, and I think Patrick Williams fits seamlessly with, this, with the top four. He's going to be able to really grit down and play defense, and he's not going to be after relied upon to – you know, really impact games offensively. And then you have Kobe White, who's going to be really a perfect six-man that you can plug and play alongside Levine already, as we know, and uh, with Lonzo. Yeah, I like the construction. You say as a basketball fan, Carson, I just like it for Bulls fans, the franchise. This team has felt for so long like it has had no direction and no hope. And, like, I'm not, again, like you said, if you were hoping and if you were optimistic for a title, Bulls fans, you were going to be disappointed. But, there's nothing wrong with being a really competitive, feisty 4, 5, or 6 seed, and I see that next uh, season for the Bulls, and that's a lot better than being completely directionless. I think it's hard for me to imagine them falling below the 6 seed, really. Like, if you look at the competitors in that range, they're certainly going to be better than Indiana. I don't think that Indiana got better in free agency here. And, yeah, there are the Celtics of the world, and maybe that's where the competition comes from, but... The Raptors will be good. I don't know that they'll be a crazy, imposing playoff threat. 
I don't expect the Knicks to replicate their success from last year. The Hawks are an interesting team to throw into that tier. But really, all things considered, this should just be a really good Eastern Conference. And this is absolutely a step up from, obviously, what the Bulls had last year. And I think that you said it. It does justify the Vooch move to a certain extent because they did more. My expectation wasn't for them to be hyper-aggressive like this and actually go all out. And I remember at the time, friend of the show, Carvel Teft, when I was eviscerating the Vucevic deal and talking about how much I disliked it, he said, at some point, if you have a guy like Zach Levine or a star player you believe in, especially in a market like Chicago, you have to go all in to get to the point where you're one star away. Now, did the Bulls find that one star? No. And were they one star away? Probably not. But they added a couple of really, really good basketball players, and I don't think we can criticize them for that. Defensively, though, not going to be good. Not going to be good at all. That is obviously the downside of having Vooch as a centerpiece of your team. It's that defensively, his team last year was significantly worse with him on the floor. Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan are just flat-out minuses on that end, and you've added a couple of really competitive defensive guards in Lonzo and Caruso, but at the end of the day, your best lineup is the lineup that gives you the most offensive firepower, and with that lineup, with the exception of Lonzo, you are not going to have quality point-of-attack defenders on the perimeter or a legitimate rim protector. So, yes, there are limitations here. Yes, there are reasons I don't think that they're going to suddenly fly to the absolute top of the standings, but I'm excited for Chicago, and as you said, it's just good for their fans. Like, after so many years of incompetence from guard packs, finally they have a GM who is just like, we're going to be good. Maybe we won't be great. Maybe five years from now, we look back and say, what did we really accomplish? But we're going to go out there and win 48, 50, 52 games. And no matter what, that is worth something, especially in a city like Chicago with the basketball history that they have. But there is another team out east that has been equally aggressive in this free agency and it maybe took their ceiling a little bit higher. Logan, I know that you were excited about what they might be able to accomplish. The Miami Heat, most notably, they now have Kyle Lowry on the roster, but they also brought back Duncan Robinson on a five-year, $90 million extension. That's big money, but it goes to one of the best pure shooters in basketball. They brought in P.J. Tucker, always a nice veteran presence to have. What do you think about what the Heat have done, and how high can they really fly with this roster as currently constructed? I mean, it solidifies them in my eyes as a you know rock solid top four team out east. But I see this team maybe climbing up to the two, three seed uh, out east. Like I think the Nets or the Bucks are gonna have locked it up. But I see the Heat being really competitive uh, for those top few seeds. I don't hate the Duncan Robinson deal. Again, it's always hard to evaluate really just pure off ball catching shooters and their value in the league. I'm not mad at it. Like I mean, Robinson was gonna get his money somewhere. But as you said, he is literally just one of the best catch-and-shooters in the league, sure. I mean, like, he's always going to have some value on this roster, even if it is just as a catch-and-shooter. And again, uh, it's even better now. You haven't got another guy like Lowry who, uh, playmaking on the floor uh, with Jimmy Butler, like, he's a perfect weapon to have alongside them. And then they bring in, uh, they brought in P.J. Tucker as well, Carson, two years, $15 million, versatile, switchable defender. I think he's better, in my opinion. I'd want him on my roster above Ariza and Iguodala at this point. I think they upgraded at that position just because I like P.J. Tucker more defensively. Uh, they bring back the GOAT, Gabe Vincent, uh, and Dwayne Dedman. Like, uh, I just think 
And they didn't give a whole lot up. Um, they gave up Drogic and Achiwa in the Raptors deal. I like it for both sides, really. Like, the Raptors have a point guard who can run their offense if they hold on to Drogic. And, you know, I like Achiwa. I think he's going to be a really good defender. The Raptors add another really switchable, versatile defender, which is, it looks like that's their MO at this point. They're just gearing up to be a really good defensive team, a really young defensive team and that's super athletic. Uh, I like the Lowry deal on both sides, but uh, I think the Heat just reloaded really well, man. I genuinely think they have a... I think they should have championship aspirations this next season. Do you think I'm crazy for that? A wee bit. I think that they crushed this. I think this went about as well as it could have for you. They brought back Dwayne Dedman. You're probably frothing at the mouth thinking that they're going to win the title now, no question. I would have loved for them to keep Precious. I mean, I think that he just brings them energy, versatility defensively. I was very impressed by him and his rookie campaign. At the end of the day, though, you're not going to compromise getting Kyle Lowry for him. A little bit sad to see Drogic leave after all that he has accomplished with the Heat after the incredible postseason run that he did have two years ago. But, again, it was a necessary sacrifice. There are some departures here. As you mentioned, some of those veteran guys, Kendrick Nunn as well, I don't think that the Heat are necessarily kicking themselves over anything there. And I just think that Lowry is really the ideal star to pair alongside Jimmy Butler because Jimmy is a tough guy to fit alongside. Like, he is a pretty ball-dominant guy who is going to operate almost entirely inside the arc, like either in that mid-range area or getting to the line. And there's not many players you can easily put alongside that kind of guy except for just great shooters or a guy like Lowry who can do so many things well can play so well off the ball because of his shooting, but also can be that point guard, that great facilitator, that defensive competitor, that he basically just fits and works anywhere. So, if you're looking at the formula that the Heat were able to find success with two years ago, I mean, Lord knows they have potential to do it much better now. They have a better big three, clearly. Drogic played at a really high level, but you can't compare him to Kyle Lowry. They retained really all of the super valuable role pieces there. I guess that's not totally true because Jay Crowder played some valuable minutes in that run. Iggy played some valuable enough defensive minutes. None, though, was not really a significant part of that. But when you are talking about that potential ceiling as a dynamic three-point shooting team and as a really high-level defensive squad with versatility there, I think that they can absolutely do that again. I guess the one area in which maybe they have lost something is as far as that wing defense because of some of the bodies that are no longer in Miami who we mentioned, but I still think that they should be a good defensive team, and last year, defense was not the problem for them. I mean, they played dogged defense. They were in games where teams were scoring in the 80s. They just didn't have that offensive explosion, and Kyle Lowry really helps you there as a reliable second star because I love Bam, but as I said last show, he's not always going to be able to step up and fill the void and score 20-something a game. You needed that extra commanding presence, that extra shooting, that extra scoring punch, that leadership, that experience, everything Kyle Lowry gives you, and I think that that alone is enough to make this an excellent free agency for the Heat. Yeah, and maybe I'm overvaluing P.J. Tucker as a defensive wing just because he's coming off of a title, but I mean, I really think a, a peak defensive lineup, you've got Lowry, P.J., Butler, Adebayo, I mean, that's that's screaming a top five defense. Maybe You're always going to have one defensive liability on the floor if you're Miami, obviously, because you need that one shooter and hero, Robinson, but I don't know, man. Like I think this is a championship caliber defense. You don't have to rely on... Again, we, we said this in a preview. Uh, now that Kyle Lowry's here, you don't have to rely on Bam to get you 20 a night. Like, late in games, you have another tough shot maker. This is just 
the ideal offseason for Miami, and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to watch it, man. I think you hit the nail on the head, though, uh, with Lowry as a perfect off-ball player uh, for Jimmy. I think that's the biggest thing about this. And I should be clear. I think that P.J., as an individual defender, is every bit as good, probably better, almost certainly better, than a Crowder, an Ariza, an Iguodala. My point is just that they have lost the depth in that respect a little bit because they had real bench guys who could play quality minutes, and that was huge when it came up to them matching up with Giannis two years ago. Obviously, didn't go quite as well this time around, but Giannis didn't have an exceptional series against the Heat. In fact, he was probably his worst overall series of the postseason. So, Maybe they do have something to replicate there. Obviously, I love the Heat score guys. I love Jimmy. I love Bam. And it's just going to be about making sure that some of the regression that we saw from a Tyler Hero compared to what we saw in the previous postseason from even a Duncan Robinson. I mean, he still did his job while the guy shot 41% from deep. But can he get back to just being that ridiculous weapon up at 45%? That remains to be seen. But overall... I'm going to bet on those guys more than I'm going to bet against them because I believe in the talent. And I believe in the infrastructure in Miami. I believe in the culture. I mean, the Heat culture was mocked relentlessly after they lost to Milwaukee. But you know what? They've won a lot of games in circumstances that predated even this current core with Spolstra with teams that certainly did not have commensurate talent to this one. And so, yeah, I think that the ceiling is high. But no, I don't think that they're beating Brooklyn straight up. I mean, what is their edge in that? They're a better defensive team, but we saw that Brooklyn was able to find a decent level defensively in the playoffs. And to me, when you have Kyrie Harden and KD all out there, presuming they do, that's just too much to stop. It doesn't matter. I, I don't know. I mean, I think one more really good defensive wing, and that may just me me overestimating the market here because guys like Ariza and Iguodala are gone. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. If Miami has a hot shooting uh, series from deep, I can see them knocking off Brooklyn. I don't know. I, I suppose if they really caught fire, I don't think that it's all that likely, though. But they got better. And after a very disappointing season that ended in a very ugly fashion where we kept on holding out hope, are they going to find a way? Is the Oladipo edition going to matter at some point? Are they going to find a consistent offensive rhythm? All these question marks. And the answer was always whatever the Heat were not hoping for. Things just never gelled. And... You bring in a guy like Kyle Lowry, that kind of uniting presence and just great basketball player, I think it certainly bodes well for them. But, no, I don't think that they're a true title contender at this point. I just think there are a few teams that are still too loaded. But they're going to be fun. They're going to play good two-way basketball. I think Lowry was, again, a great fit. And all in all, they did very well for themselves. Let's talk about the team that they actually faced in the finals a couple years ago. The L.A. Lakers, despite having very limited cap space, have been making moves. And obviously, the big one was for the star addition to their team and Russell Westbrook. But the role player additions have been very significant as well. And there has been a number of them. You have the super old guys, the Mellows, the Dwights. They brought back THT for three years, $32 million. That to me is a little steep. He's not really doing anything for you right now. But they tried to bring in maybe a little bit of scoring punch from a couple of young really hot and cold guys like a Kendrick Nunn, like a Malik Monk, like up there for the two most hot and cold scorers that there is in basketball, but still guys who can get a bucket on their good day. You add Wayne Ellington, Trevor Reese on the wings, Kent Bazemore, like that's a ton of signings with not much space at all to work with. So given how strange the fit 
still is with their big three is currently constructed. How do you feel about what LA has done thus far? Well, first, I just want to say, man, dude, LeBron is just a black hole on and off the court. I sucks up all the touches on offense as he should. He's the greatest. He's one of the greatest players on planet Earth. But off the floor, man, we've seen him do it in Cleveland. We've seen him do it in Miami. Just you're giving up all of your young assets. I don't blame them. Like I think that I because I think the Lakers put together the best possible roster you could. You know, after making the Westbrook trade, I don't think they could have played free agency any better. I just don't think they have any future after LeBron uh, dips out of town. That being said, again, when you add uh, catching shooters like Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, Bazemore over 40% last season, Ellington at 38%, Mello a 39% catch-and-shooter, uh, Monk and Nunn last season over 40% catch-and-shoot. I mean, that's really all you need. Westbrook and Braun are going to have the ball in their hands a lot of the time, and I think Nunn and Monk bring a little bit of that off-the-dribble punch. Nunn's a good pull-up jump shooter. Uh, he's got a little floater game. Uh, they're not going to do a whole lot in that respect, though, again, because they're going to be running minutes with Westbrook and LeBron. But uh, I thought they killed it. Like, I do think if we're going to point out one thing that the Lakers lost, that's obviously defense when you lose a guy like Caruso, uh, some of the other pieces they gave up. Defensively, I think they'd be a lot worse last year. They're also going to be pretty slow. This is, uh, I believe, uh, in Colin Cowherd's uh, reaction to this, yeah, they're the oldest team in the league. They just got older. That's definitely a concern. Are these guys' bodies going to hold up long enough through this season? Mello, Dwight, Ellington, Bazemore, Reza, they're just up there in age. Uh, they're older, they're going to be slower, and I think they're going to be worse defensively. But you just brought shooting to, uh, again, a team that is going to collapse defenses better than anybody else, and that's, at the end of the day, all you can ask for uh, you know, in their cap situation. Yeah, the Lakers' supporting cast are always going to be hilarious because... They have so much cap invested to their core guys, especially now that they've introduced a third mega contract into the mix there. And so Rob Palenka, LeBron James, whoever the hell is pulling the strings over there in L.A., they've certainly had to work with, obviously, limited resources. But the greatest resource of all is having LeBron James and the opportunity to win a title and sell that to all these guys. And I thought they did that as effectively as they could have. When I was looking at this Lakers situation after the Russ deal I did not expect them to get as many role players of this caliber as they did I think that this is a significantly better group as far as offensive punch compared to what they have this past year like you're looking at the Markeith Morrises of the world guys who just couldn't reliably knock down a shot obviously they were too big they were too slow now finally I pray that they're not going to start AD alongside Dwight. Like, they can't actually be that weird with Russell Westbrook and LeBron. If they do, I take back every compliment that I have given this team. But they should be quicker. They should play with AD at the 5 the majority of the minutes, and that is where they're best. They should have the advantage of Russ as that ball handler in the non-LeBron minutes where he can excel and help take some of that load off of LeBron. I still don't like the Russ fit. I mean, I will be clear about that. It probably makes them better. But as far as adding star talents, it's about as ugly of a fit as there could be. But if you're going to add the kind of shooters of this caliber, you're certainly going to help yourself. And I like that it's not just straight up, you know, spot up shooters, guys. Like Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk can go out there and try to win you a game. And they can pull off a little bit of that bench scoring magic that it feels like the Lakers, particularly given that they were starved for that offensive punch last year, that's something that is really valuable to them. And then... You know, people get a little too excited about Melo. Understandably, he's a cult hero, and I get that people love him. But 
if he is just a spot-up shooter, because I pray that that is what he does. Like, I think that he actually shoots the same percentage effectively on twos as he does on threes at this point in his career, and he takes more twos still. If he just sits in that corner, the dude is a flamethrower. Lord knows I'm scared of him. Wayne Ellington, yeah, I don't care about that all that much. Ariza, he was not good for Miami last year, but can he play rotational minutes for you? I will still optimistically bet on him being at least decent there, although, again, he didn't step up to the task in Miami. So all around, did they unlock some supreme championship ceiling that I didn't think was there before? Not necessarily. Like, again, it helps to have guys who can shoot better on the wings because when you were as star for shooting as they were last year, 25th in, three maze, in threes made, 21st in three-point percentage, under 30% in their series against the Suns. Like, if you have guys who are going to shoot 38 40% on the wings, that makes a world of difference. I just don't know if it's enough. I don't know if there's really a game-changing player in there. And I will say, I don't like them losing out on Alex Caruso. Like, why are you paying THT over Caruso? THT to me, is just not needed as the kind of weird creator that he is. I think that Malik and Kendrick Nunn are better than him at that already. I don't know what ceiling you're betting on with him. Like, athletically, he's never going to just be this insane guy. It's not like he shoots a ton of pull-up threes. Like, he kind of has that weird in-between game, and he's skilled, but I just wouldn't pay him. Alex Caruso is an incredibly valuable player to you. He's a defensive stopper. He's a Swiss Army knife, a good cutter, a good decision maker. Like, there were moments where he was the third best player on your championship team. And so to pay more money per year to Talon Horton Tucker than him just is inexplicable to me. But overall, I mean, how high does this take the Lakers for you? Like, after the weirdness, I know that you said that you thought that they weren't the title favorites overall after the rush trade, but maybe that they were out west. Has this taken your confidence in them up another level still? I'm still not taking them over the Nets, but I still think the Lakers easily win the West. I'm I'm not shying away from that. They are so much better. And I know that – I want to ask you the same question. I mean, I know you were a, a massive hater of the Westbrook move before we saw these uh, additions. Uh, has – I guess, uh, do you like the Westbrook trade or the Westbrook move more now? And are they your favorites out West? Yes, I like it more now. And I actually think that they probably are my favorites out West. It's going to depend on a couple things. It's going to depend on what LeBron is just like at this point. Like, do we see some sort of regression in the playoffs? There was injury stuff, but clearly he didn't have that next level takeover gear. I'm a guy who bets on LeBron. I'm always going to bet on LeBron. But that is an important question still to be asked as he's sitting here at 36 years old. So that's important. Personally, I don't think that Russ is ever going to fit well alongside LeBron. I don't think he's ever going to acquiesce. I don't think he's ever going to give you value off ball. And I think that anybody who assumes that hasn't watched him in these last few years where he would have been incentivized to do that in a couple situations, and he just hasn't. Like, he needs to be that black hole offensively. And so that still concerns me. But... He has come so far as a playmaker. Like, as you mentioned it, he is the ultimate defense collapser. And when you give him this kind of shooting, that's nice. The only thing is, yeah, they added a lot of depth here. They have a lot of good shooters that they can turn to here. But at the end of the day, in their best lineup, only two of them are going to be out there on the floor because you have to play Russ, LeBron, and AD. And that is still concerning to me. That is still not ideal for spacing. Again, I don't want to keep AD from being the great lob threat that he is and maybe 
Russ and AD or LeBron and AD out of the pick and roll. It's so unstoppable that you can know both guys are coming downhill and you still can't stop it. I think that's the hope for them. But I do think offense is still going to be somewhat troublesome for them compared to the truly elite contenders that they are thought of in the same class as. But they should still be a great defense. Maybe they lose a little something there from last year, but I do think that the core pieces are still there. And offensively, I think that they are better because of the shooting that they've added. So right now, I think I would lean on this level of talent working out and them being the best team out West because, again, I just didn't expect them to add role players of this caliber. Like, that to me was not in the cards. It was like they have nothing to work with. You get Malik Monk on the veterans minimum? Come on, man. Somebody should have paid that man $100 million and given him a nice home. Like, in preferably a good family as well that you could go home to at night and cook a nice duck dinner for and talk about politics, but only on the terms that he wants to. I just want the best for Malik in life. And a veteran's minimum isn't that, but the chance to prove himself as the best player on a title team, Logan, that's an opportunity that will pay off long-term for sure. Yeah, and Malik deserves to live in a you know a city with, with nice schools because Malik Monk's kids deserve nice things too. Um, I just want the yes. best for Malik Monk. Um, I do want to ask though, we talk about the depth that they brought in at uh, that certain position. Who were you starting alongside uh, Westbrook and LeBron? Are you uh, Ellington, Bazemore? Uh, like, personally, I think I'd start Malik Monk, to be honest. Like, who are you starting yeah. at that two spot? Uh, this is why I really wish that they still had Alex Caruso, because I just think that he's better than those guys overall. And when you ask me that question, I have to say I do become a bit less optimistic because I'm like, it's good depth, but where is the starting caliber player there? You can say it's Malik, but <laughs> I don't know, man. Is Malik really going to start on a championship caliber team? Like, I feel like he has to be that explosive presence off the bench, but at the same time, what is Kendrick Nunn if not a bench scorer? Wayne Ellington? No way, dude. I don't want Wayne Ellington starting. He's just so, he's so meh. Like, he's not going to give me major plus defense. He's certainly a good shooter of the basketball, but I don't know. I guess if he's going to shoot 40% from deep, you can make a case for Ellington. Ariza, I don't think, is there all around, but ideally the best version of Trevor Ariza would be the best player. I just think that we're past that point. I guess I'll go Wayne Ellington, man. I don't know. Like, it's not a good name, but at the same time, dude, look at KCP. Like, maybe I just want the best shooter on the floor or the shooter I can trust at least not to take more shots than Russ and LeBron, and I think that's probably Ellington. I'd start Baysmore over Ellington, bro. Ellington's probably the last dude, dude I'd take out of that group. Bro. Bro, you are not starting Kent Bazemore. Baze is liable at any time, and I love him. He's going to play hard. He shot well this past year, but first of all, I'm not as sold on his shot overall as I am with Ellington. Ellington is a career 38% guy. Baze is a career 35.6% guy. In the couple years before this past one, he had not been very good from deep. And so I'm not as sold by the shot. I like the defensive intensity and all that. But he's also just a wild man, dude. Like, he could on any possession decide, all right, this is my turn to push and transition, and I'm going to throw up a layup from eight feet out. LeBron, Russ, and AD, you guys can all watch. That's scary to me. Like, no, I don't love Wayne Ellington. You heard me. I shrugged. At first, I was like, I don't even know if I like this signing. But then I went down the list, and I was like, none of these guys really make more sense. And maybe just a good shooter 
who isn't going to try to do anything else is the most natural fit. Okay, well, maybe this isn't the proposition to throw out after you said this. Uh, after you said that, um, what about Braun at the here? Braun at the one, you know, Russ at the two. We go mellow at the three. Um, you're not you're not messing with that. I'm not a huge fan. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to start Carmelo Anthony because I want to be able to play defense, and I think that that team is just too big. I think that it's too slow. I mean, Melo cannot guard a candlestick now, as they say, or at least as I say, as of now. So, look, I think Melo will give you some nice punches as a shooter. I'm going to enjoy watching him out there, three to the dome, boom, and then I'm going to love it when he has a possession where he decides to jab 40 times and then shoot a spinning fadeaway. I'm going to love that from him. I'm going to take the good and the bad with Melo this year. But, no, I don't want him starting. Who do you like out of that group, Mr. Wise Guy? Dude, I love Malik, but he's just a wild animal, and I don't want to have to tame him like that. I want it to be like when the Lakers had Dion Waiters for a minute, and it was like, oh, all right, today Dion is just going to run stuff for the bench unit, and that's fun. I think that that's what Malik deserves to have, although, again, maybe that's Kendrick. Maybe Kendrick is the starting guy here. I mean, he's the best player of the bunch, and he actually, despite a lack of overwhelming physical tools, he plays defense. Like, he plays hard there. He's a solid playmaker. He hasn't, again, been that primary catch-and-shooter, but he's 38% from deep this past year. Like, maybe the obvious answer is Kendrick Nunn, and I'm just overthinking it because I want to use his playmaking in non-LeBron and Westbrook minutes, but I don't know how many non-LeBron and Westbrook minutes there will be because they should stagger their minutes to where one of them is on the floor at all times so you get the maximum value out of that. So maybe I should change my answer to Kendrick Nunn. I mean, and again, he shot 42% off the catch last season. Like, I, he might be the obvious answer. I don't even think... I don't know, man. Kendrick, obviously, with he's a much better player than his contract suggests. You know, two years, $10 million. Maybe at this point, he's willing to... I mean, he's accepting less money. Kendrick played a lot off-ball in Miami. Like, I don't think he'd be opposed to being a pure catch-and-shooter, and I think he's good enough in that role, but in saying that, too, I don't mind him closing in minutes with Westbrook and LeBron, too. Not that I want him taking a whole lot of uh, late shots. He's a really good pull-up jump shooter as well. I think... I know I'm not going with Wayne Ellington or Kent Bazemore. I'd go Monk or Nunn. I think I am leading Kendrick Nunn, though. Uh, yeah, I think Nunn is the obvious answer. I think we're overthinking this one, bro. Probably. I would still come down to Nunn or Ellington. I certainly think that Nunn is a better basketball player, and so, yeah, maybe we are just overthinking it. And you're right. Two years, $10 million, Like, Nunn was kind of the odd man out in Miami and that he was never going to be a creator they prioritized over Hero or Drogic. And so he started a ton of games and he had his 15 a game over two seasons, but always when it mattered, he was relegated to a backseat when they were healthy. Like in that playoff run, he wasn't even playing for a majority of it and he didn't have a great series against Milwaukee this year. But I think that the guy can certainly play basketball. He's a good competitor. And, I mean, Logan, we were a couple of his first fans here on Nerd Session, the preseason before the 2019-20 season when he dropped 40, I think, in back-to-back -back games. He showed some of that impressive shot-making off the bounce, that defensive intensity. So Kendrick Nunn might surprise some people. He might play a little bit of a bigger role than you're expecting. But it's an oddball cast. It's always an oddball cast. But at least it's an oddball cast that is going to be defined by its shooting instead of 
being this big, more lumbering lineup. And so I'm a fan of it in that respect. Okay, let's stick out in the Pacific Division here and talk about another team that is also trying to launch themselves into contender status. And they had an active offseason, but more prominently in the draft than in free agency because they had no cap to work with right up against the luxury tax. The Golden State Warriors end up adding Otto Porter Jr. and Nemanja Bialica both on one-year minimum deals, 2.4 for Otto, 2.1 for Bielitsa. They're going to let Kelly Oubre walk, fine by me. I think that Oubre was not even a net positive to the team this year. He just never fit in with their identity. So, you add a little bit of shooting there. You add a little bit of experience. How do you feel about the Warriors right now with seemingly all their cards played at this point? Although maybe not, because there still is that Wiggins contract that could be on the move. I mean, with how poor, you know, the Golden State bench was uh, this last season, I mean, these are two really good pickups. And when Otto Porter Jr. has been on the floor, when he has been healthy, he's been a really effective basketball player. I think if he's healthy, he's a really valuable asset to have. I mean, especially for the league minimum, like that's an absolute steal. He gives you a lot defensively. He, you know, He's just a dog. He's going to give a lot of effort. He's got a long wingspan. Um, he's decently switchable he's a good catch and shooter and not only that he's a good mid-range shooter he's a good pull-up jump shooter like he does a lot of little things I'm not I don't want to overstate Otto, Otto Porter Jr.'s game but he's a he's a really good rotation player and then Bielitsa he's a better catch and shooter than what Golden State had and that's about all you can ask for um yeah last year was just abysmal guys coming off the bench and it's you just get two really solid rotation pieces um, that make them a lot better. Clay Thompson's going to be healthy. Uh, yeah, you lose out in Kelly Oubre, but you're not. I mean, what does Oubre demand in this market? Like 15 million a year? He's not worth that to this Golden State rotation. I don't even know if he's worth that purely as a player. Um, you get two really good catch and shooters off the ball to Steph, and uh, Otto Porter Jr. is a really good defensive asset. I like the moves, and honestly, I mean, two of the best ones they could have made with where they are. Uh, you know, uh, in their cap situation. Dude, to get, especially Otto on the minimum, I mean, that's fantastic work. Healthy Otto Porter Jr., that's uh, maybe one of the five best players on this roster. Like, I guess it depends on what happens with Poole, how the rookies look. But healthy Otto Porter Jr. is a guy who understands his role really well, a career 40% shooter from deep, and he's not going to try to do all that much more, although he does have a little bit of that pull-up game inside the arc. But again, he understands what he's good at. Just prototypical 3 and D, 7-1 wingspan, certainly a plus defender. Like, that's just great work by them. And I guess the only reason they were able to pull it off is that he hasn't been healthy in two years. And that is something that you can throw in there and say, okay, 42 combined games over two seasons. Maybe that doesn't bode all that well. But I'll take a chance on it. And Bielitsa... I am still somewhat surprised by the fall from grace of Nemanja Bielitsa. Like, he fell out of the rotation in Sacramento, and then he wasn't able to get minutes really in Miami when I liked that pickup for them. I don't know how he fits in in Golden State, but the dude is a flamethrower. He's 6'10", and he shoots 39% from deep, and I thought in 2019-20 had a really impressive campaign starting a majority of the games for the Sacramento Kings. So... Yeah, he's not going to fit ideally on defense, but you said it. Given the guys who had to play big minutes for the Warriors this past year, upgrades across the board, and now it's just about 
those rookies being ready to come in and contribute. And Moses Moody, I have faith in because I think he will understand his simple role and will immediately be high-level shooter and hopefully a high-level defender as well, although it always takes guys a little more time to get accommodated on that end. And Jonathan Kaminga, I believe in the talent. I don't know if I believe in it right now, but we'll see, man. Clearly, the Warriors like what they saw. I do think, though, that this is not a championship team. Like, that to me is somewhat plain to see. I think it's a really good team. I think it's a team that should have a high two-way ceiling. They were already a top five defense in basketball last year, and that's playing James Wiseman a lot of defensive minutes at center, and he didn't know what was going on out there. That's without Klay Thompson, who should be their best perimeter defender. That's without Otter Porter Jr., who should be another plus defensively. And then obviously offensively is where you would think they have even more room to grow, bringing back the dynamic shooting of Klay, bolstering the depth here. So the Warriors are going to be a lot better. Like, I still don't think we fully appreciate how insane it is that they ended up securing the eight seed and going on the tear that they did down the stretch and just being as far above 500 as they were when Steph actually played like that was spectacular and they've put themselves in about as good of a position as they could have without making that big splashy deal and I think that obviously that's what they wanted to do I said that I think that they're done for the most part the one rumor that has sprung up is Joe Ingles I mean Logan you know me I would die on the spot he would be unbelievable that kind of IQ shooting playmaking defensive toughness but I just don't see how they make the contracts work it's a little too awkward there and Wiggins you know I think that he put up an admirable effort this year but he was inconsistent and it's going to be interesting to see how he acclimates to that role of being the number three option offensively maybe it's better suited for him but he still just had too many moments where it's mid-range Wiggy and he just has to be that catch-and-shooter, high-level defender. And so I like his past season. I'm optimistic. He's still something of a question mark. But overall, as we said, they did about as good of a job as they could have with the resources that they had. Yeah, and I agree with you that you know I don't think they're a championship team. I think that is pretty obvious. And I don't even know if they're really... You know, where they finish standing-wise, I don't know if they're a whole lot better. I think they're still probably really fighting hard for a 6, 7, 8 speed, but they're going to be a really good team, and they're going to be really fun to watch. And I mean, as you said, Carson, like right now, this rotation is 9 deep, solid, and that's without even the rookies. Curry, Clay, Wiggins, Green, Wiseman, Looney, Poole. You add in Otto Porter Jr., Nemanja Bialica, they're going to give you really valuable minutes. Um... And again, that's without Kuminga or Moody. Moody is probably going to step in and be a really good rotation player off rip. If Kuminga gives you anything, that's it's bonus points, man. That's icing on top of the cake. I, Yeah, again, you know, you're not reopening the championship window here, but this is going to be a really competitive team night to night. And uh, I don't know, man, long term, I like them holding on to Wiseman and having Moody and uh, Kuminga to build around too because, again, you're not losing that culture now. You're going to be competitive. Hopefully these guys learn how to win and can – continue this on for the Warriors into this next generation, but uh, this team's going to be a lot better than last year and a whole hell of a lot of fun to watch with Clay coming back. Yeah, I don't think that they're going to be in that 7-8 seed range. It is so tough out West because it's like, I look at the teams above them, well, I don't think they're going to be better than the Jazz. I don't think they're going to be better than the Suns. The Clippers, maybe, probably even, if Kawhi isn't able to play for half or more of the season. I guess that that just remains to be determined. Not the Lakers, the Mavs, I think it's close. I think I would bet on them over the Mavs because of the two-way ceiling. I mean, I don't think that we can overstate 
how dominant teams with Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson, and anybody around them have been. Like, that trio has been pretty undeniable over the years. And I think that now they have a competent enough core around them again where you can say, okay, it's big time winning time. But I, I still don't think they're fully in that championship conversation. But I don't know, man. The value of the shooting that they have, the level that Steph is playing at right now, defensively what Draymond is doing, hopefully Clay. and this is such a question mark because he's off of two traumatic injuries consecutively, is something like himself. But as I've always said, nobody should age better than Clay Thompson. Nobody should be less adversely affected by injury because all the dude has to do offensively is be a spot-up shooter, and defensively, that's where he could maybe lose something because he's got such great feet there, and... Obviously, if he's not the same athlete, that will be impacted. But I'm optimistic that he's at least like 80% of himself. And just the shooting alone at that level makes him incredibly valuable. All right. So there's where we stand with the Warriors. Let's talk about a team out east that has been starved for what the Warriors have had over this past half decade for a long time. And that is, of course, the New York Knicks. And we talked about how they might approach the insane amount of cap space that they had this offseason you put in your guarantee that they were going to be the team to overpay for Victor Oladipo it looks like that's not going to be the case Oladipo is currently still unsigned but they mostly brought back some of their valuable role guys from this past year Taj Gibson Alec Burks Nerlens Noel Derek Rose and then the big fish who they did bring in was Evan Fournier who they end up signing for four years 78 million that D Rose deal was three for 43 Nerlens was 3-for-32, Burks was 3-for-30. None of those guys are getting paid small money. It's a lot of dough invested in this core that they currently have where I don't know if the ceiling is all that high, but what do you think about what they did in New York? Eh, I mean, it's, I think I've how I felt with the Knicks offseason this, uh, <laughs> yeah, this last decade. Um, it's, it's cool. It's not bad. I, I wouldn't have paid out some of this money. Like, I don't really see the value in even bringing back a guy like Alec Burks. He'd be a good rotation player somewhere else. But, you know, he's not swinging games for you. Uh, even though I am an Alec Burks, you know, guy. Derek Rose, three years, $43 million. Cool. He's a valuable asset to have. I know Thibodeau loves him. It's just, I don't know, man. The Knicks are in such a tough spot. Like, they just didn't get any superstars. Fournier's a good, a really good piece. Like, I think he really helps take the weight off of Barrett and Randall. And he'll be a guy that they can depend on night in, night out. I'm glad that they have him as a third offensive star to rely on. You can still bring Rose off the bench. I just, I don't know, bro. They just didn't get drastically better, and uh, they're nowhere closer to winning a championship. This is a good team. They're going to fight really hard every night. That mentality's not going anywhere, and I'm sure that they're probably going to be in the you know, in the playoffs again, five, six seed uh, in that range out east. But I don't know. Maybe with the improvement of other teams, maybe they drop down to seven, eight. The Knicks make the playoffs. I just, I'm, I'm severely underwhelmed with what we expected uh, from the New York Knicks. Well, that's the thing is they got better on paper, but are they going to be able to replicate the level of defensive dominance they had last year? Are they going to be able to replicate what Julius Randle did? And then again, aren't the other teams around them for the most part just going to get better by even more? I, I'm not overly optimistic about the Knicks. I wasn't overly optimistic about them last year, though, and they certainly overachieved in the scheme of things. But clearly, we saw the ceiling that does exist with this team at the end of it all. 
I like the guys who they retained. D. Rose obviously was so valuable for them as that dynamic scoring threat that they needed. They needed that little extra scoring punch, that influx of offense, and he brought it. Alec Burks is another guy who, when he's on, can bring that. I'm not a huge fan of paying him $10 million a year. Like, he's one of my brother's favorite players, so respect to Alec Burks, and he can put the ball in the basket. I just don't think he does it as well as a lot of other guys out there given the same volume of opportunities. Although, again, he has his moments. Nerlens, super valuable, but at the end of the day, primarily is going to be a bench big for you, assuming that Mitchell Robinson is starting the majority of the season, and I think he's a really good one. But it's just not a game-changing move. Like, there just isn't one there. And Fournier, I like Evan Fournier. I'm going to like Evan Fournier in basically any location you can put him in because of his versatility as an on-ball scorer or as just a brilliant catch-and-shooter. He's 41% from deep this past year on almost seven attempts a game, but he can also get himself a bucket. He's a more-than-capable playmaker. Like, he's just really good. And I think probably... He's going to be their second-best player right now unless RJ takes it up another level. I guess he played really well for the second half of last season, but I would like to see him replicate that shooting, and I still don't think he has nearly the all-around offensive game of Fournier as far as skill goes. So they added a really good player, but they invested a lot in him, and that's just the sad reality of this. It's that what they're doing is kind of meaningless, and... You can say that about the Bulls, but at least I think the Bulls are going to be really good. I just think the Knicks are going to be okay. Like, call me crazy. I just still have a feeling that regression is incoming for them. Like, it's just so hard to win as many games as they did with the level of offense that they had. Like, when you are ranking 20th or below in offensive rating, you're just not supposed to be a playoff team, and they were 22nd there. And that's with, again having this breakout season from Randall with the shooting around him being really reliable. They weren't one of the most volumous shooting teams in basketball, but they were one of the most efficient with just this insane defense. And it's like all of that coming together again, I don't know. And I just don't feel like this was the team to really invest in, but I don't know that they had a choice because like, what are they supposed to do? Look at their playoff season, turn around and say, okay, let's scrap it. I mean, this is what happens. You be- you become a middling team when you draft so poorly for so long. Um, I mean, you can look at their roster from last year. Uh, Kevin Knox, Obi Toppin, Frank Nittalikina. Like Again, there there's young guys that I like on this team. R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Mitchell Robinson, but none of them really have this top star-level potential, and that's what's so disappointing. Like I don't think that... That's that's what separates them in my eyes from the Bulls. The Bulls have two really young guys that I really believe in. Not that the Knicks don't. Again, I like R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly, but it's like (laughs) the Bulls are so much better now. Um, And I don't know, man. I just don't really see a... I don't really see a direction or a big-time future for the Knicks. They still need that star here, man. Yeah, I agree completely. And that's just the world that they are operating in right now. I think that they're closer to being below 500 than they are to being 10 games above it as they were this past year like I just think the east should be better and one of those teams that could potentially get better in their same division is the Boston Celtics who have had a remarkably unremarkable free agency because they have not signed a single player they brought in Josh Richardson via trade before But we were talking about the possibility of Lonzo. Maybe if not that, they would bring back Fournier. And they have done absolutely nothing. Logan, after 
a 500 season that was so disappointing for them. How do you justify that kind of inactivity, and what do you make of it? I mean, it's not like they're in a good cap situation, but um, I'm I'm nervous, bro. Like I'm I'm just nervous for the Celtics. They they brought in Chris Dunn and Josh Richardson. Yeah, man, they're 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 changing the game out in Boston, and they got Al Horford back. Sweet. Um, no, dude, I think Boston's gonna be a really big disappointment again next season. I just honestly, man, I don't even think they I don't even think they mind. Like I just think that they know that. With where they are contract-wise with Brown and Tatum, they know that they're guys. They know they're going to be stars for for a long time here in this city. I just don't think they're rushing anything, man. Um, and I, I think it – I don't know if it's a bad thing. You're wasting, again, two years of some really young stars when you could build another really good core around them. I just – I don't really know what you can do. Like, I think they're just kind of buying time until they can get all some other contracts. Like, when Marcus Smart is up after next season um, – they can get him off the books. Uh, it frees them up. I just, I don't know, man. I, I The Boston Celtics are in a really tough spot. They are. But I think that the tough thing is those young stars, young as they may be, have the expectation of winning. I mean, they're used to making Eastern Conference Finals. They're used to almost knocking off LeBron without Kyrie Irving on their team, without their best player out there. And I actually do like the Horford edition. I think I'm a little bit higher on it than you are. I know that you said you basically thought it didn't matter at all in the moment. To me, I still believe in his ability to play winning basketball in the right situation. I just think we saw nightmare situation in Philly, and then in OKC, it just didn't even matter. I mean, they didn't even play him half the time because they didn't want to because he was a veteran guy who they weren't invested in long-term, and he might actually mess around and win them a game by playing basketball the right way. So... I'm still a believer in Horford in the right situation, although obviously he is up there in age. He's 35 now. But no, they're not going to be contenders. I think that that is plain to see. And it's disappointing overall. Like you said it, they didn't have a ton to work with, but I don't know. Go out there and get somebody with the minimum, the MLE. Like go ahead and add some quality role players, and maybe that is still out there to be had for him, for them. But it hasn't happened yet, and just given how atrocious their bench was last year, how many inexperienced guys they had to play big minutes who just weren't ready to contribute there, it's just all around discouraging. And again, you were 500. So if you have the expectation of an Eastern Conference Finals team and you're 500, you have to change a lot. And I think that they're still going to be better than last year. I don't know how they could be worse. Everything went wrong last year, but not by enough for it to really, truly matter. And that is disappointing. All right. Let's think with a couple teams that are maybe more legitimate contenders out East. Another team that is just at a weird crossroads, also in the Atlantic Division, the Philadelphia 76ers. They haven't made the splashiest move. They haven't moved Ben Simmons, which I think was something that a lot of people were looking for. And they did bring in Andre Drummond, which is automatically minus 1,000 points, swapping out Dwight for Andre Drummond. Terrible move. The Lakers obviously come out on top in that switcheroo. They add Georges Niang. Interesting. Obviously really like his shooting and maybe just wasn't going to have a role in Utah's rotation for all that much longer. How do you feel about what Philly's done? Have they gotten better or is this pretty disappointing from them? Um, Just because they haven't got off Ben Simmons, I think it's a little disappointing. But uh, as you mentioned, they bring in Niang, 44% catch and shooter last season with Utah. 
They just need shooting here uh, in the rotation. I think it's a pretty good pickup. They also re-signed Furkan Korkmaz for three years, 15 mil. He's a 39% catch-and-shooter. Just valuable to have those guys to space the floor. The Drummond one to me is interesting. Having not moved off Ben Simmons yet to bring him in is just what intrigues me. I, I At this point, Carson... I don't want the Sixers to move off Ben Simmons just so we can get a Ben Simmons, Andre Drummond, uh, you know, few minutes no. out there, just so I can watch. You don't it. mean that, Logan. I do mean that. You don't mean that because when you really see it, you'll want to stop watching basketball forever. You'll question your fandom of the sport. Maybe. I, I, I maybe you're right. Um, honestly, Carson, I Andre Drummond for the league minimum is a cool contract. I guess because he can grab a rebound. Like, why would I just? Why would you want this guy on your team? Well, they need a rotational big, and they had a guy who did it better, but that guy wanted to go try to win a title with his old buddies, and so they had to take the reject from that squad. At the end of the day, if your expectation is for Andre Drummond to be a backup center who plays you twelve minutes a game, he's a pretty damn good backup center. I mean, this is what I said. He is entering the Hassan Whiteside realm of his career where he put up these massive meaningless scoring and rebounding numbers particularly rebounding which just is not a stat that really indicates how great you are as a player because it's so context dependent and Drummond is a great rebounder but it doesn't justify every other inadequacy in his game but yeah if you're going to play him 12-15 minutes a game that's fine you said it on the minimum that's a decent enough contract but no the Sixers have not gotten better and I like Niang as a rotation shooter I think that he can be another Furcon for you. They haven't brought back Danny Green. It remains to be seen if they will. That's a guy who I would really like to have. He's clearly one of their top five guys based on their roster last year. George Hill, I believe, is just going to be walking, it looks like, and he never played a significant role in Philly. I was optimistic about that signing when it happened, though, or that move, I should say. And I still think George Hill has some good basketball in him. He just had a phenomenal campaign a year ago for Milwaukee. And uh, I just think he's a good player who I want on my team. So all around, I think that Philly, they're losers of this free agency. And I think that until they move Ben Simmons, and maybe that is still going to happen, there's no way to look at this team and say they're going to take a significant step forward because at the end of the day, everything around him and Embiid is just going to be garnish it's just going to be distraction and it's going to say hey we can make this work again but they can't it's not salvageable especially not with Toby there like there were just so many changes they would have to make they didn't make any of them they didn't even add good role guys though on top of that so it's just all around disappointing for them okay how about the two seed out east the Brooklyn Nets who admittedly have not made all that much of a splash either but they're always interesting because they're the Brooklyn Nets. Most notably, maybe, is that Spencer Dinwiddie is no longer with the team because he signed to a big three-year, $60 million deal with the Wizards. But how do you feel about what the Nets have done thus far? Mostly retaining their own guys, Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin, but also bringing in Patty Mills, which I like, James Johnson, which I don't like as much. But how do you feel about it all? <laughs> I feel excellent about the Nets offseason, and the biggest thing to me is just Patty Mills. Um, it's just he's going to give you 16 minutes a night, and he can play a bigger role if Harden or Kyrie are still struggling with injury issues uh, on a night-to-night basis. He's going to anchor a bench unit. He's going to be a really good catch-and-shooter if you give him minutes. 
Uh, he's just a really good piece to have. Bruce Brown is returning, uh, Carson Brebber's favorite player. You know, he's good off the short roll. He's athletic. He gives a lot of effort defensively. Um, Carson Brebber loves Bruce Brown, and uh, I, I I don't know why. He's a he's a regular. He's an wow. average Joe. But you know what? We like the average Joes here on Nerd Sesh. Um, come on, bruh. Would you, okay, a serious question. Would you rather have Bruce Brown or Malik Monk? Dudes open their mouth and show their true colors. If I'm trying to win games... <laughs> I want Bruce Brown. If I'm trying to sell tickets, if I want to have the most electric score in basketball, give me Malik. I mean, Malik still has a higher ceiling. Unfortunately, he's just never going to reach the ceiling, although I will convince myself for one month of every year that he's going to. But, dude, Bruce Brown is a winning basketball player. What do you want? He defends at a high level. He makes good decisions. He's versatile offensively. He can be your point guard or your power forward. How sick is that? That's electric, man. Yeah, I'm a Bruce Brown guy, and I'm proud to say it. He's no average Joe. He's an above-average Bruce. He's a B-plus Bruce. And he's and he's, he's a Swiss Army knife as well. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Um, they, they bring back Blake Griffin. Um, Blake played his role perfectly last season on a one-year minimum deal. That's a really good signing to bring him back. I almost thought for a second they might lose Blake if he wanted some money, but he's not chasing the bag. He's chasing a ring. I like that move. Hate the James Johnson one, though. I guess James Johnson is just out there to pick up fouls and pick fights. Um, you know, go full UFC on dudes. I don't really get the James uh, Johnson signing, but uh, whatever, man. Yeah, he's, he's out there to karate chop dudes. They do lose... Uh, they lose Jeff Green. I don't think that's a huge loss. Really good floor spacer. Not a whole lot else. He'll be easily replaceable. But uh, overall, I mean, the Patty Mills signing to me is the biggest thing. Uh, and yeah, I do think the Nets, uh, maybe not uh, you know, massively, they did get marginally better. Yeah, I think it just came down to Jeff Green wanting a little bit more than the minimum, James Johnson and Blake not caring. I think that Jeff Green was valuable to them last year. I think he's a really nice rotational shooter, and I'm not a James Johnson guy. I know that there are James Johnson guys out there. I think that I was just really unsettled by how he played in Dallas because he tried to do the point forward thing so much, and he didn't get better in New Orleans. Like I just don't like James Johnson. I don't like how much he feels the need to have the ball in his hands, but whatever. That's fine. It's forgettable. He probably won't even really play for them. Let's look at a contender out west. And we may have buried the lead a little bit here because although everybody knew it was coming, it was a massive re-signing on a price tag that is maybe somewhat controversial. The Suns, they retain, first of all, most importantly, campaign at a very nice price, three years, $19 million. They bring in JaVale McGee on a one-year $5 million deal, filling what we talked about as the biggest need probably for them as a team, that rotational backup big. But then... They also bring back 36-year-old Chris Paul for four years, $120 million. How did you feel about that? I'm conflicted. I mean, like, it was something they had to do, obviously, after reaching the finals for the first time in, you know, over 20 years. You had to bring back Chris Paul and almost pay him whatever he wanted, which is exactly what they did. I don't know if I would have given him $30 million a year. I mean, again, when this guy's 39, you're going to be paying him $30 million, and I don't know if that's a contract worth moving. There's a lot of questions. Is Chris Paul still a valuable player at that age? I just, you know, I don't want the, I don't know if the Sun should have, I don't want to say it like this, like handcuffed him to Chris Paul because there's been really no signs that Chris Paul is still not going to be an effective basketball player. I still think he's really effective last year, but we've seen, 
a moderate drop-off year to year, and I'm just worried that, you know, by year two or three of this contract, he's either injured, he's just, I don't know, he's not the same player. And there's, again, there's no previous indications that I have for saying that. It's just age, man. And again, $30 million of your cap where there could be some really good free agents where you could bolster your depth. I don't know, man. I just don't. I just hope the Suns have not landlocked and handcuffed themselves to a really bad, immovable contract. Because in a in a really dark road down these next couple of years, if Chris Paul is injury prone or he is just a drops off significantly, that's a really hard contract to move. Well, two years ago, we obviously thought that the contract that just expired was impossible to move, and he ended up defying the odds there. I agree with you, though. CP uh, has extended his prime at this point and really revived his prime or at least something close to his prime these past couple years because he wasn't at that level in 2018-19 in a remarkable way for a player of his age and at his stature but father time is undefeated the important thing to note here which I should have mentioned off the top is that although we don't know the exact details of the contract yet it seems very unlikely that he ends up receiving that full 120 million because apparently the third year is only 15 million guaranteed now, I don't know how brutal the incentives would be there. Like, my feeling is he's Chris Paul. He's president of the Players Association. He knows his worth. He's probably going to get the majority of that $30 million. But then the fourth year, apparently, is a team option. And that, to me, is a very nice out to have because if you're looking at 40-year-old Chris Paul, that's not great. But at the very least, what he's done here is secured himself an extra year and a half of getting paid big money by opting out of that player option. But for the Suns, I just don't think you had a choice. He is the guy who helped take your team up another level, and I'm not going to bet on decline when I have the best team going that I have right now. Like I'm not going to think, oh, we need to be conservative here. Look, maybe it is a really unfortunate contract three years from now. I'm not sure that it will be. But if it is, you can opt out ahead of that fourth, and your core is still very young. Like, yes, Devin Booker is 24, and he's getting older, but there is still a window and to me, this was the window. I think this was the best chance that they'll have, but Chris Paul certainly helps extend that window, makes them at the very least a really good team going forward, and I just think that that was something that had to be done, so I don't think that there's all that much to criticize with that contract there. All right, let's look at one more team out west here, a team that we keyed in on a bunch in our preview content, talking about how they could handle things, the Dallas Mavericks, who have really been in the mindset of needing to make a push to keep Luka Doncic happy. I am not so sure that they did that. They bring back Tim Hardaway Jr. on four years, $74 million. That's really very close to what I would have expected him to get. I'm fine with it. Logan, I know you're not a fan of it being that many years, but I just think one of the best catch and shooters in basketball, really important offensive weapon of what they're doing there. And yeah, it's unfortunate. There's a ceiling on a team with KP as its second best player and THJ as its third, but... If the other options aren't there, the other options aren't there. And I do think that they can move that contract down the line. And then really the only other move of any significance is bringing in Reggie Bullock on three years, $30 million. A little steep to me. Like, I like Reggie. He's a good 3-and-D wing. I know that Knicks fans will be upset with how he performed in the playoffs this year. But overall in the year, he's 41%. And he is a real plus defender. Like, he's not just slide him in and say he's 3-and-D. Like, he's a dog there. But it's a lot of money, and I think at the end of the day, he's mostly just a rotational player for them. So how'd you feel about what Dallas did? Did they get better by enough to really change your outlook on next year? No, 
they didn't. I didn't expect them to, but um, I don't hate the Tim Hardaway Jr. contract, and I know when I said in our preview that I would. I, I don't hate it as much. Four years, $74 million, yes, it is a steep price tag, but like you said, he's nearly a 41% catch-and-shooter. He's consistent. He's just knocked down alongside Luka, and yeah, he's got a little ability to create off the dribble. I mean, he's about as good a shooting guard as you were going to get in this offseason and is probably as good a shooting guard that you're going to find over the next four years. Yeah, it's it's not that bad a contract. And I mean, at the worst case scenario at the end of all this, you find somebody who's a little bit better and you move Tim Hardaway Jr. to the bench and he's a slightly overpaid rotation player. Uh, not a horrible contract. I like Reggie Bullock. You know, three years, $30.5 million. It is a little expensive. I am a little nervous, uh, as you mentioned, with a guy like Kent Bazemore. Um Two years ago, Bullock was 33.5% off the catch. Last season, he was 42.5% off the catch. I am nervous if he's you know, just going to be as consistent um, or if he's going to be an inconsistent shooter, but I don't hate that deal. He's going to replace Reddick's minutes here in the lineup, and he's ah, $10 million for a good catch-and-shooter. It's not horrible. Um, I don't love Dallas's offseason. It's pretty so-so. I, I really don't know if... I don't know, man. Luca may be really frustrated after next season. Yeah, they didn't have that game-changing move either way. And it's not like $10 million a year for Reggie is disastrous. And again, maybe they didn't really have anywhere else to spend that money. You added a good player, and uh, that's fine. And I do think there's an important distinction to be made between him and Bazemore because for Baze, the good shooting season is the anomaly, and for Bullock, the bad shooting season is the anomaly. Like, if you look down... He's 41.5% from deep, 384 37.7, then that 133.3 year, but that's also in a season in which he only played 29 games, and then he's back up to 41. So I'm going to bet on his shooting, I'm going to bet on his defense. It just doesn't change things for Dallas. And maybe that wasn't out there. I talked about the possibility of Fournier. Either way, they weren't going to reach that championship ceiling unless they got Kyle Lowry. That's just the truth of the matter, and that didn't happen. And yeah, no, this is going to be a frustrating year for Luka because nothing's really changed. They're not going to be better. Defensively, they're going to be average. Offensively, they're going to be really good, but just not good enough to win a championship with what's out there. And people get upset fast. And that is the reality of the modern NBA with these young superstars. And another one of those young superstars possibly could be Zion Williamson of the New Orleans Pelicans, who obviously lose out on Lonzo, and they end up paying the most money out to anybody that they have thus far to Devontae Graham for four years, $47 million. How do you feel about that signing? It feels like a strangely passive free agency for New Orleans, given that they cleared up all this space, they had $36 million, and this is how it turns out for them. I mean... Low-key kind of a win. Like, I mean, they didn't get a whole lot better, but you also don't put a whole lot of money into, you know, these next two years. Like, you're going to be wide open for the next couple of years. You have Valanciunas who you bring in. You have Devontae Graham who, you know, I don't love Graham's game. Like, he's not a particularly good catch-and-shooter. He's kind of an inefficient scorer still, but he's at least a guy who is going to... He's able to get buckets, and he's going to be able to split minutes with Kyra Lewis Jr. You just didn't want to leave him, you know, hanging out to dry by himself and having this big... Uh, you know, having to, you know, really create all of the offense uh, for this team. Devontae is, you know, just be able to take the load off of him a little bit. You also bring in Sato, who's a really good rotation point guard. Um, I'm not a big Garrett Temple guy. I don't really think he matters as much, but uh, I like Sato. I like Graham. It shores up your point guard position in depth. 
And again, like, the Pelicans didn't get dramatically better, but I don't think that's terrible. Like, you're also... Them bringing, like, not bringing in a star or somebody who else they can build around isn't that bad. You know, it's going to allow Zion and Brandon Ingram to continue growing as superstars and hopefully develop other assets of their game where they can become the ones and twos on a championship team. They're, they're young. They're not rushing this. Um, and they got a little bit better uh, at, at their biggest position of need. So, all in all, like, yeah, they may not broke the bank, but I don't really think it's been a bad offseason for the Pelicans. Did they get better? If you lose out on Lonzo and you replace him with Devontae, is that really an upgrade? You're replacing him with Devontae, Sato, and Kyra. Like, no, I don't think any of those guys are better than no, no, Lonzo. No, no, no. But... You're not replacing him with Kyra. You already had Kyra. So, Sato and Devontae. Sato's like a budget Lonzo anyway, and Devontae gets buckets. I, I don't really think... <sighs> I don't know, man. I don't really think they're that much worse off losing Lonzo. Look, Sato is good at what he does. He's a guy who can command the game a little bit, was very efficient from the field this year, a good basketball player, and uh, had some good moments in the Olympics as well, proudly representing his country of the Czech Republic. But I don't care, dude. For a team in the Pelicans position, like, it just doesn't matter. And Devontae, I see what you're saying about them not boxing themselves into some monster contract and keeping the space down the line for that reason. But I don't know that there was a terrible contract for them to walk themselves into. Like, I guess they just got my hopes up. I thought that they were going to be a little bit more in the conversation for Kyle Lowry, and then it became pretty clear that it was going to be the Heat. It was going to be the Heat. Devontae is a good basketball player. He's one of the best pure shooters in the league. Off the dribble, the guy can just bomb away, and he's got good playmaking instincts. But overall, defensively is not going to matter for you. Has still almost no game inside the arc. Like He just does not get easy points with twos or at the line ever. And I don't know. I don't really think that it matters. I don't think that they got better. And normally, if you're looking at a team where you're third best player or where your best player is a third year guy you can say okay that's fine we'll be around 500 I just think it's a bit of an exception with Zion and I am unimpressed by what the Pelicans did would you have matched Lonzo's contract if you were the Pelicans that's a tough one because it is a lot of money and I don't think Lonzo is the guy who takes their ceiling up another level I think that if he was they would have won more games this year so I don't know. They end up getting something out of the sign and trade. I think that that's fine. I like Lonzo. I still think four years, $85 million is a lot for him. That's a lot of money. So I think that they're okay losing out on that, and they got something of an asset out of it. It's just disappointing all around. I guess that that's the thing with this free agency is really easy to be disappointed because all the eggs were kind of in the Kyle Lowry basket, honestly. Like, if you're looking at teams that actually wanted to take that leap from solid playoff team to championship contender he was the guy who fit everywhere he was the best player that was really available and obviously he could only go to one place so all right at the end of the day I'm not thrilled with what the Pelicans did let's run down some individual contracts here that stand out first things first maybe the weirdest contract in NBA history I shouldn't exaggerate because 2016 did happen but Jared Allen just got paid a hundred million (laughs) dollars over five years to return to the Cleveland Cavaliers Logan can you make sense of it? No, but I will tell you uh, some more reasons why it's stupid. So, obviously, reason number one, when you draft a 
franchise-changing building block and the proclaimed best prospect the Carson Brepper has ever watched, Nevin Mobley, I've always heard the best thing to do is like invest, you know, back into that position for a long time for a lot of money. Um, I don't know like what the Cavs are thinking with this. Like that's that's number one. Like are they going to play Mobley at the four and Allen at the five? Like that's the only thing I can figure out and relegate Kevin Love to being the most overpaid bench player in the league. That's part number two of it. Another reason why this is so dumb. Again, you already have Love and uh, Mobley, so let's bring in another back another big man. The next reason why this is so dumb, you're going to have to pay Darius Garland and Colin Sexton at some point. You're also going to have to pay Evan Mobley. And Jared Allen is just biting in on that. When, again, he's not a position of need. Like, I understand not wanting to completely lose out on assets. And Jared Allen is a good asset. He's a 23-year-old who's really good at doing two valuable things at the position, rim running and rim protecting. But he's not worth $20 million, especially, again, when you have... That franchise-changing player, to me, one of the strangest contracts. And if they don't already have something lined up to move him, Carson, it's also just one of the dumbest. I mean, I don't know what the Cavaliers are doing. I really like Jared Allen, man. He does a simple job really well, and he's young, and he's an explosive athlete. He understands his role. He's hyper-efficient. Showed even a little bit of shooting touch this year in a very limited sample size. Like, lots of reasons to like Jared Allen, but bro... This is just one of the worst contracts ever for all the reasons that you laid out there. And to me, if you're playing Evan Mobley at the four, you are immediately playing him out of position. Like, that's not what he is. Ideally, he is a guy who can stretch the floor, and you know that he'll be able to guard multiple positions defensively, but that's not how you should use him. He should be the great rim protector and also hyper-switchable big that he is. He should be the sort of offensive post-hub also and really good role man with some floor spacing potential. You shouldn't try to make him a power forward. That's just a complete misutilization of his skill set. He played alongside other bigs at USC, but like he was the center. And in the NBA, that should be the case even more. So I don't know what to say. You're right. I think that Garland is so clearly so much more valuable. And the Cavs seem to just not be in on Colin Sexton. But dude, a guy who can give me 24 a game with moderate efficiency, I don't care about what other issues there are in his game. That matters more than a guy who is just a good rim runner and rim protector and isn't some game-changing player in either respect. He doesn't have Rishon Holmes' floater game on top of his athleticism. He doesn't space the floor. He doesn't have bam switchability on defense. Like, he's just good at two things. I'm perplexed. I'm astounded. I really do think it's in a class of its own as far as signings this year. I think it might be the most confusing one since 2016 when we saw Luol Deng and Timothy Mozgov getting paid big money, and he's obviously better than those guys, but the money is bigger, and it's for a really long time. I am just all around sad for the Cavs fans because you get this foundation and you think, wow, we have guys who we really like it almost every position going forward. Like, if Okoro continues to figure it out with our backcourt, with Evan Mobley now as that star in the front court, like, we're building towards something. And we like Jared Allen. We like Jared Allen. But we have to let him go because we drafted Evan Mobley. And the Cavs actually just said, no. Oh, what? No, why would we do that? We'd like to bring him back for five years, $100 million. Terrible contract. Let's keep moving through some of the interesting ones that don't necessarily fit in with a crazy interesting team. The Wizards bring in Didwitty for three years, $60 million. What do you think about that? 
It's cool. I mean, it makes them moderately more competitive, and it keeps Bradley Beal from wanting to, you know, jump off a building. You know, he has somebody to help him offensively. <laughs> Honestly, bro, I just, like, I feel bad for Spencer Dinwiddie. You come back from injury, you know, the Nets are supposed to get hot, and you're supposed to be a part of this rotation that contends for a championship. But no, you get hurt. And now you're sent to one of the worst situations in basketball. Again, one of the most directionless situations in basketball. I pity Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, I'm glad he's getting a little bit of a bag after his injury and has secured some money for himself. But yikes. Good, good luck, Spencer. Good luck. Go put up 20 points a night and win 12 games. I'm a huge Spencer Dinwiddie guy in the 2019-20 season. I made a slight case for him as possibly being an all-star, and it wasn't that slight. I actually considered it because of the fact that they had been better when he was just running the show than when Kyrie was out there at one point, and his efficiency continued to slip as the year went on, but he still averaged 20-plus and 7. I just think the thing with Spence is he's a skilled basketball player, but he is a volume player. Like He needs to have the ball in his hands a lot. He's going to put up a lot of shots. He's a career 41% guy from the field, 32% from three, Really doesn't bring you off-ball value because he isn't that great shooter. Like, he needs to be your point guard with the ball in his hands a lot. And in some ways can be like, he's got some Russell Westbrook qualities without the super dynamic athleticism. And that like, sometimes he's just going to be that volume guy and maybe you don't want him on your team if you just want the flow of things to go smoothly. And so for Washington, they just continue to perplex me. Like, this is a win-now move, right? It has to be. It's certainly not anything else, but they just gave up Russell Westbrook and they did it without getting any major assets back. Like, they really don't know what they're doing. It is just a wild crapshoot out there. And I feel sorry for them because they rejoiced when Ernie Grunfeld left and things just have not gotten better in Washington. So I think that Spence is a good player. I just think he's best served as a sixth man somewhere. Any guy like that who has the skill set but he wasn't going to be hyper efficient. To me, it's just plug-and-play as a sixth man to where it doesn't matter. They don't have to play alongside other stars. And now you're going to try to have him be your second-best player and your point guard alongside your actual star guy. doesn't make sense. It, to me, man, just why not just go all in on the on the young core? Like, just let just just let Denny and, and Roy Hachimura run the show. Who cares? You're not doing anything. And I don't care how much Bradley Beal loves Washington. I don't care how many times he affirms, oh, yeah, I'm here. I want to build something here. That contract is going to expire. He has a player option after this year. He is a 31-point-per-game scorer, and he is 28 years old, and he can fit in a lot of different situations because of his versatility as a scorer. You have to get something out of that, dude. You just have to. Because it's foolish to think, oh yeah, he's going to stick around for another contract. If he does, he'll be the weirdest player in the NBA. And so building in any way with that in mind just downright does not make sense. Okay, how about another guy who got paid a good bit of money? A couple of nerd sesh favorites got paid in the mid-50 million range. Let's start with Gary Trent Jr., three years, 54. This was pretty much what I expected for him to go back to Toronto. How do you feel about it? I love it, dude. You know, this honestly might be one of my favorite contracts of uh, of free agency. You know, Toronto's a young squad, and they need offensive punch, and Gary Trent does that. Like, he's—we uh, talked about this in the preview. Like, he's a 22-year-old averaging 16 points per game, primarily as a just a pure jump shooter. He's great using step-backs. He's a great pull-up jump shooter. 
a pretty good catch and shooter. And again, like he's only 22. This kid's only going to get better. It's a four-year deal, like, uh, or excuse me, it's a three-year deal, $54 million. I I love it. He's going to have a volume of opportunity to get better. Um, one of my favorite deals uh, in free agency, and uh, I know we're just talking about this contract, but the Raptors get a Chua and Drogic. I like this for the Raptors, and uh, I just love the, the Trent Jr. deal. Yeah, Gary's great. And to me, it's just about defining the role for him to where he doesn't think he's going to be a lead option offensively because he just needs to have so much more playmaking, so much more of an interior and mid-range scoring game. Because as you said, he's a shooter right now. And he's a shooter who can kill you off the bounce because he's that great from deep. He just can't get downhill. I think that the Raptors are going to be good again. I'm excited. I think that, as you said, they're going to play plus defense. They're deep. They have a lot of different guys who I like. And hopefully Siakam is something like himself again. And I think that Goran Dragic, if he's healthy, can still be a really good starting point guard in the scheme of things. They're not going to contend, certainly, but they should be a mid-tier playoff team. And Gary Trent just absolutely helps them do that. And obviously they had to retain the asset. He's 22. I don't know that the ceiling is crazy high because, again, I don't know what skill set he has that pops. Like, there isn't the athleticism. The playmaking isn't there right now. But he'll do his job really well. And when he's engaged, there's some defensive tenacity there, too, that certainly is nice to have. How about Rishon Holmes going back to the Kings for $55 million? Thoughts on that? Your Kings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I mean, like, Rashawn's the best center option that we could have gotten. Kings aren't going to do anything, though. Well, we never do. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't impact winning, but he's the best center option that we had. And Rashawn's a really good player. Four years, $55 million is honestly a really cheap deal for him, too. That's still a value contract with the kind of player that he is. It's You know, we saw, we saw Mo Harkless and Alex Len, too. Um, so, yeah, big dubs for, for Sacramento. It's a really good value contract. It just sucks that the Kings aren't going to win any more games because of it. we didn't get dramatically better. Agreed, but I don't know that that was really in the cards at all this year. In fact, maybe they take a step back before they take another step forward because they do want to move off of that buddy deal. But yeah, I really like Rashawn. Great offensive player. Just got one of the prettiest floaters in the game and also a really nice athlete. He's a role man. Best defensive big man on the Sacramento team. I think that this was a fair price, and I wouldn't have gone that much higher because, again, if it's a big man, unless they're a game-changing guy, I don't want to pay them all that much. But this is a range that I'm comfortable with for them. How about a couple of moves by the San Antonio Spurs? They pick up Doug McDermott for three years, 42. They pick up Zach Collins for three years, 22. What do you think about what the Spurs have done in this offseason? So I thought they were two pretty good contracts, mostly because, again, the young guys that they're building around are kind of ball dominant. Uh, Jonte Murray, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, even... Uh, mm -hmm. Even Kelvin Johnson, to an extent, has a little playmaking in him. Um, I I like McDermott, especially like three years, forty-two million dollars. It's not super expensive. You know what he knows he's going to play his role. He's going to knock down his catch and shoot attempts. The Zach Collins one is interesting because I like the guy as a player. Seven points per game, six boards a night in uh you know back when he last played in twenty twenty. And, you know, he shot 39% off the catch back then, too. But he's injured his left ankle three times. He's underwent surgery on it twice. It's just a sketchy proposition if he, he's going to be healthy. But uh, mm -hmm. finally, the Spurs have some money to play around with, and they go get some shooters for such a poor three-point shooting team. I think they're two really good additions. But uh, Collins's health definitely concerns me uh, moving forward with this season. Yeah, call me when Zach Collins plays 50 games. 
I'll be waiting, and I ho- I'm hopeful that he does, but it's just injuries have been so repeatedly an issue for him. And so I guess that at three years, $22 million, you can say that's not a huge investment. We can live with that because the skill potential is there with the floor spacing, with the defensive rim protection. I just am not all that excited about it at this point. Dougie McBuckets is great. I would have rather seen him go to an actual contender where his shooting could really be game-changing because he's a really good basketball player, and the Spurs just continue to be in a weird spot. Like, look, they had to spend this cap somehow, and I think that they spent it in a fine way. Like, I think that they are now in a position where they can let the young guys develop and run the show a little bit. They aren't holding on to the backcourt of old. They aren't going to bring back Rudy Gay for four years, $150 million dollars. And that's all good news for them. I just don't think that this matters all that much. And I think that it's really a bummer for Indiana to lose Dougie McBuckets, dude, because Indiana, man, it's just now you lose out on Aaron Holiday. You lose out on Dougie McBuckets. This bench unit that has defined them has just lost a little bit of something. They bring back TJ, who is the captain of that unit, who makes it all go for four years, $35 million. That's a really nice value contract. He's a really good basketball player. And they do bring in Torrey Craig, who we saw what he can do in a winning situation. But to me, they're just treading water. They're just kind of going to be the same team. And that was a disappointing team last year. So maybe they will progress a little bit this year, just because I would say last year was uncharacteristically bad in some respects. And they did have injury stuff that is undeniable. TJ Warren missed basically the entire year. They didn't get to have a full year of Karras. They didn't get to have a full year of Jeremy Lamb. Like, They should be better, but there isn't a super high ceiling with this core and losing out on some of the best parts of your roster. Like, they weren't going to win you a championship anyway, but that doesn't necessarily help. Just looking down at some of the remaining contracts to point out here, the Nuggets bring back Jermichael Green, they bring back Will Barton, and they also add Jeff Green. I like all of that for them. Paul Millsap, still they have not signed I think if that makes sense, I don't know that he's all that important to what they're doing right now, but Jeff Green, you get more shooting on the wings. Jermichael played some good events for them last year, and Will Barton, as we established before, necessary as that sort of secondary scorer and creator. In two years, $32 million, I like that it's not a really long-term contract, and I think that that is fine per year value. Anything else that stands out to you? Nick Batum going back to the Clippers, I think, is nice for them. The Bucks, as you as we touched on, bring back... Bobby Portis, they let P.J. Tucker go. Anything out of that that you want to talk about? Kelly Olenek going to the Pistons for three years, $37 million. The only other like major contract that I think is like, super relevant is probably the Blazers deal. Um, the Norm Powell, five years, 90 mil. Um, only reason I'd say that, too, is I think it also makes the Raptors look really... It makes them look a lot smarter because I think this is why they did that. They knew Norm was going to command major big time money. I don't love five years, 90 mil for Norm Powell, but he's a good piece. Honestly, I probably wouldn't have paid him that money, but I, I, maybe the Blazers are like thinking about moving off of McCollum or Lillard. Like that's the only thing that I, this can signify to me. They're just, they're three guys that I just don't think can coexist and last together. Um, and honestly, I like the Blazers other moves too. bringing in McLemore and Snell, just two decent catching shooters. They're still going to suck defensively, but this is a team with a lot of firepower offensively, you know, reloading once again. Yeah, it just doesn't matter unless you make progress defensively. 
they were one of the best offenses ever this year, and they lost in the first round to a Denver team that was without their second and clearly second most valuable player. So just to me, until they figure that out, it doesn't matter. Until they figure out how to get Dame, that superstar teammate that he needs, it just doesn't matter. Until they move on from the Dame and CJ pairing that we just have seen doesn't work at this point, it just doesn't matter. Like Tony Snell on the minimum, that's a great deal. And Ben McLemore on the minimum, I think that that's a pretty good deal overall. And I actually don't have as much of a problem with the norm contract as you do, maybe. I think that it makes sense to pay him. Like, five years, $90 million, that's in the range that I'd be comfortable with. It's a long contract, but the dude is an explosive scorer. I think he's really valuable there. He's not going to hurt you on the defensive end. But they can't continue to play him, CJ, and Dame together. The tallest guy out of that trio is 6'3". None of them are going to give you real plus defense. So, yeah, their long-term vision is still screwed. They didn't do anything to help Dame. And I think that overall, even if you look at each individual move and say, okay, that's fine, they have to be kind of a big-picture loser here because they are in dire straits as a franchise, and they did not make progress in that respect. I'll comment briefly on a couple of the other ones that I threw out there. Milwaukee, I don't think there's anything all that interesting to say. I mean, losing P.J. isn't great for them, I guess, but I also don't think it's going to kill them, although he did really help them with his defense, no doubt about that, but offensively gave them very little. You bring back to Bob's on a great value contract, you'll hear no complaints from me about that. Kelly Olynyk getting paid three years, 37. I mean, it's reasonable given the production that he had with Houston. I'll say it again, 19-8-4 on, I believe, 54-38 splits, something ridiculous like that. In Detroit, I guess that he's going to be solid as that stretch four. Like, he's not going to hurt them. I don't think you could say that, and they need to use their cap space on something, so I'm fine with that. I don't think that it matters all that much. Daniel Tice going to Houston, kind of a similar situation. Not as good of a player, in my opinion, but they just have to fill that cap with something. Although it's a little weird to me if you're Houston to pay not all that much less than they would have for a Linux for an inferior player when you already had a Linux on your team. But overall, I think that we've touched on basically everything of significance that has happened, but there are still some big dogs out there. So I'll throw it over to you for a discussion of some of those guys. I guess we should start with Kawhi Leonard because he still has not re-signed. Do you think that there's anything going on there that's worth taking note of? Yeah. I mean, like, dude, Kawhi is just such a weird dude. I like I can't give you any concrete idea of where he's at or what other destinations he could be considering outside of like I mean there's not many teams that have that cap space like if the Mavs didn't side Tim Hardaway maybe I'd say they'd have a shot like <laughs> is Memphis about to pull the trigger on Kawhi like I don't think the Clippers are in real danger of losing him because I don't think there are any real contenders to sign him but it's definitely weird it's weird as hell like he did this it's really similar to what happened when his contract was up in Toronto, and I thought he was heading back there, and he signed with L.A. I, again, I'm not saying that I think Kawhi's going anywhere, but I definitely think it's strange. What about you? Yeah, it's super weird. I think that he's going back as well. I just can't really imagine him leaving. And as you said, teams just don't have the cap. So, yeah, I think that he's going back, but it is strange. It is Kawhi-like to just be weird about it. Any other players out there who stand out to you that they haven't been signed yet? I'll throw out some names. Oladipo, Schroeder, Danny Green, Iggy, Oubre, 
J.J. Redick, Justice Winslow, Laurie Markkinen, any of those guys who really interest you in seeing where they'll end up? Yeah, I mean, Kelly Oubre is still super interesting if he can, you know, not be streaky, if he can be a decent 20-point per game. I don't know, maybe that's over-exaggerated. Like 17, 18 points a night, decent shooting efficiency. Winslow is really interesting to me just because the Grizzlies brought him in and then, you know, maybe just let him walk. Like, Winslow's just been hurt for so long. You don't really know what his value's like. He hasn't looked good when he's been back out there. They're interesting to me. I think the most interesting guy, though, as you mentioned, I think it's Dennis Schroeder. He is going to be such a valuable asset. To, well, wait, is Reggie Jackson a uh, still a free agent, too? Yes, he is. I should have mentioned him and also John Collins, which is weird because we were assuming that he was going to sign back to Atlanta, and he has not at least officially done that at this point. Yeah, and I'd say those are the three biggest guys. I just think Reggie Jackson and Dennis Schroeder, what we saw from them two, uh, last uh, this last postseason, I mean... They're guys that can swing playoff series, and that's really valuable. So I'd say, if you need a guard, man, you know, pull out your money, wave it at them. They uh, they're two really valuable ads that's still on the market, in my opinion, probably the two most valuable. And then John Collins, I, I still think the Hawks deal is still going to go through. I don't think that was smoke. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think that if you look at a team that needs that dynamic guard off the bench, or in Reggie's case, who can fit in with a starting unit as well because of his shooting. I look at Boston, I can't imagine that the Lakers could possibly swing one of those guys on, (laughs) like, a minimum. I don't know. Reggie obviously did it last year. Dennis Schroeder is expecting to be paid $80 million, so it's not even in the question with him. And Reggie, I can't imagine it. I mean, he's earned himself more of a contract than that. It would be kind of a bummer if he didn't go back to L.A., though. That was my assumption. But, yeah, maybe the Celtics, anywhere that needs that scoring punch, he can provide value. And... Other than that, Josh Hart still remains unsigned. To me at this point, if I'm New Orleans, why am I not bringing him back? Like, I'm not giving that big money to anybody else, so I might as well bring in a quality player. Terrence Davis, I don't know why the Kings wouldn't sign him. Like, they let DeLon Wright go, so maybe they just don't enjoy the quality players who they bring in for very at a very low cost. I don't know. I would bring him back, but... Yeah, I mean, there's still some stuff to play out, obviously. Victor Oladipo, I have no idea. Like, I really don't even know what to say. J.J. Redick, I would love to see Dallas get him back, but anywhere that needs that big-time shooter, he could have value. George Hill, I think, maybe another guy you could look at for Boston. Anyone who they could get for cheap who can just be more valuable guard depth uh, would be nice for them. Avery Bradley, I'm interested in seeing. Laurie Markkinen, I just want to see how much money he gets. But overall... As things generally are with free agency, most of the big stuff has happened already. So we will probably check in with you guys again when this whole thing is over and see how things stand. We also have some summer league basketball starting right now, which is very fun. It really just does not stop this year, Logan. And you know what? I'm not complaining because I enjoy every phase of it and every second of it. And if you have enjoyed this journey with us thus far, I have good news because we make a lot of content here at NerdSesh and you can find it on our YouTube channel. Maybe you're already watching here. If you are, hey, how are you? How you doing? You can see that we post our full podcasts here, but we also make some YouTube-specific video breakdown content. Hopefully, we'll have some more of that soon. Normally, once a week is the cadence that we like to go with there. You can also follow us on social media, Twitter at nerd underscore sesh, Instagram at nerd sesh, and TikTok at nerd sesh. You can listen to this podcast only in audio form on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your audio content. And with that, as always, I have been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden.
And this was NerdSound. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.